If you want to stay in here, we're going to be in the book of Malachi today. Malachi, all right? If you don't know where Malachi is, uh, if you find your way to the, in the Bible to the book of Matthew and turn back a couple pages, Malachi, all right? That's where it is. It's the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Uh, for many of you, uh, this, uh, some of you that have been, uh, been with us for uh, the last, uh, last few months, we've been walking through the Old Testament minor prophets, and we've been talking through the, book of, uh, the books of the minor prophets, working our way through them, and today we come to the final one, the book of Malachi, and uh, we're going to be walking through. We're giving a, a bird's eye view of these books, so uh, a lot of times we'll go verse by verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And that's oftentimes how we study it. But here in the last couple of months, we've, uh, we've kind of stepped back and just given kind of an overview of some of these books, some of the key themes, so that when you go back and you read them in your own Bible study, uh, you'll actually know what's going on, all right? Have you ever been there when you've read the Bible and you've, you've, you've opened the Bible and you're reading through something and you're thinking, I have no idea, no clue what's happening here, okay? Uh, I've been there, and I'm sure you have as well. Well, as we're going through the Minor Prophets, the goal is to help us to have a little bit of an idea of what's taking place so that we can better understand whenever we're studying the Bible what is happening and so that we can better know uh, how, how that applies to our life, how it applies in the Scriptures, and uh, that can be a tremendous help to us. So tonight, today we're going to be in the book of Malachi. As we get started, we've done this every week as we've, uh, as we, before we've jumped into it. We've looked at the, the books of the Minor Prophets in order, and uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to uh, recite them together one final time. I hope that as we've done this, it's allowed you to and helped you to learn some of the these books in their order. Uh, that way, when somebody says to turn to a book like Malachi, you're able to find it, okay? And so we're going to say them together. They should uh, be able to, I think we got a slide that we can pull up, and uh, you'll be able to see them. We'll recite them in order, the left column and then the right column together. That way you can have a better understanding of where the minor prophets are in the order of the scripture. So let's say them together this morning. All right, here we go. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. All right, so there you go. The 12 books of the Minor Prophets, they compose uh, a time period of about 400 years, written by 12 different men, uh, and uh, dealing primarily with the judgment of Israel before uh, the destruction that came, and then after that we've looked at, after their ex style uh, these last couple of weeks as God has allowed them back into the nation of Israel. All right, now, as we dive into the book of Malachi, let's, uh, let's ask the Lord for his help. Let's pray together real quick, and, uh, and then we're going to dive into this book together and uh, see what the Lord has for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us now, and God, as we turn, your, turn our hearts to your word, I pray, God, that you'd speak to us. I pray for each person that's here, Lord, that, Lord, from the youngest Christian to the oldest, to the unbeliever, to the one that's that that's known you for many years i pray god that each one would be spoken to this morning by your word and god that you would have the freedom to move in our midst thank you god for what you're going to do we pray god that you would work as only you can and i pray this in jesus name amen amen well nearly a century has passed since the completion of the temple rebuild that we saw in the books of haggai and zechariah over the last couple of weeks about a century has gone by and one would think that Israel would be walking with God and enjoying His presence, that they would have fresh on their minds the, the evidences of God's uh, blessing and the deliverance that God had given to them after He delivered them from their captives and from their captivity. But as we come to the final book of the Old Testament, we find that Israel was far from where they should have been. In fact... I believe we can find an overarching theme through the book of Malachi. If you were to step back and really look at the overarching theme, the message that you'd find here is that the people of Israel believe that God isn't good enough. God isn't good enough. They were complacent. They were apathetic. They were disinterested in the things of God. They were so numb to just where they were that, that God comes to them in verse number 2 and, and He says this, He says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. But their response to God was, Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? How have you 
shown your love to me recently, was what they were saying to God. God, in all of His goodness, and all the things that He had done for them, all the blessings that He'd poured out upon them, and yet here they were sitting, and they were saying, Oh yeah, God, what have you done for me recently? God, you say that you love me, but how have you shown me that you loved me recently? God, maybe you have as well. Been services when I've reflected on the death of Christ on the cross for me, that His love has just overwhelmed me. There have been times when I've been reading the Bible and the Bible was so vivid and so real and, and, and it just spoke to my heart that, that, that is God's love for me. It left me astounded. And I hope that can be said in your life as well. That there have been times that you were overwhelmed by the love of God. Times maybe whenever you think back to whenever you accepted Christ as your Savior. We were talking this morning in Sunday school and, and uh, talking about sharing our testimony. And I can remember whenever I was nine years old, whenever I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, when I came to that point in my life where I realized that, that it wasn't based upon what I could do that would get me to heaven, but it was based upon what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. When He died for me, when He gave His life for me, and, and He bled and He died on the cross to pay for my sins. And whenever I realized that, and I prayed and I said, Lord, I know that I am a sinner and I know I can't get to heaven on my own and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Friend, uh, that should be fresh in your mind if you've made that decision. And by the way, if you haven't made that decision, today would be a great day. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. If you were the only one on this earth, He died for you. The Bible tells us that all of sin come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. That means no matter what you could do, you couldn't get to heaven on your own because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, that He loved us so much that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you on that cross. That He paid for your sin. That it was a debt that had to be paid. You couldn't afford it. And so what did God do? He stepped in and He paid it for you. He died for you. The Bible tells us that He offers you the gift of God that's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way that you can receive it is not of works, because if it was, you'd boast about it, the Bible tells us. Talk about how, how you got to heaven. No, it's not of works. It's the gift of God. Grace. Something that you don't deserve. The Bible tells us that if you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that God hath raised Him from the dead. See, that's what makes all the difference in the world. Jesus Christ, yes, He died, but three days later, He rose again from the grave. And listen, He never died again. That's what separates Him from everybody else. See, Jesus wasn't the only one that rose from the dead. you realize that? you remember that? There's stories in the Bible about Lazarus who died and then... Jesus rose him. There was a young lady that died and rose again. Elisha laid upon, the, in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that, that there's a young lady that died and Elijah went in and she rose up again. But can I tell you, every one of them, after they rose again, they all died again. But Jesus didn't. No, Jesus is alive today and that's what makes all the difference in the world. And friend, if you are trying to get to heaven on your own based upon what you can do, the Bible tells us it will fall short. There's no way you can do it on your own. The only way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to them and He said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way. And friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do that right where you are this morning. And can I tell you something? It's a glorious day. It's the most wonderful decision you could ever make in your life. And it should be something that moves you when you think about how much God loves you to save you. You know, in those moments, whenever we think about the love of God, when it's so real to us, it's easy to live for Him because we can sense His love so clearly. We talked in our membership class just a little while ago that the first core realization for every person at Whitehall Baptist Church, listen, it has to be that we have to realize that the motive for all things is the love of God. Listen, not our love for Him, but His love for us. 
His love that was unmerited. His love that, that, that listen, was, 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 is incomprehensible. His love that is un, uh, impossible to fully wrap our minds around. That love, that love should motivate every part of our lives. Because of His love for us, we should be willing to do anything for Him. But for many Christians, that isn't where you live. No, in reality, you live much closer to where the Israelites were in the book of Malachi. Asking that question, how has God shown His love to me recently? You may not say it with your mouth, but the actions of your life communicate it loudly enough. That's exactly what was happening in the book of Malachi. They had lost sight of God's love for them, and it led them to an apathetic, complacent, disinterested life for God. And it's very likely that many in this very room could check many of the boxes of apathy that the Israelites had in their day. So God sent a messenger. That's what the book of Malachi, that's what his name means, the Lord's messenger. He came with a message to wake them up about where they were. And this morning, I hope you'll listen closely to the Word of God, because it just might be that you've lost sight of God's love today. And as we look at the ways that Israel was apathetic towards God and disinterested towards God, I think that many in this room might be able to check some boxes in your own life, and our own life, to say, listen, that's exactly where I am today. Man, I've lost sight of the love of God. I've fallen out of love with Him. And I hope this morning it'll help us to get back on track. As we think about this, as we give kind of an overview of the book of Malachi, we see first of all, the first way that they had fallen out of love with God and they'd become apathetic is they had a half-hearted worship. A half-hearted worship. Look if you would at verse number 7 of chapter number 1. The Bible says this, Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer, a blind, uh, offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Jump down to verse number 11. For, for from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, uh, my name shall be shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, and that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Here's what was happening. The, the people of Israel, uh, they, they, they knew that the time to offer sacrifices to, to worship God had come. But for years, they had followed the traditions of scriptures. They had followed the religious practices that they were supposed to do. And now they were no longer offering sacrifices out of worship. They were doing it, listen, out of necessity. They were doing it simply for appearance sake. They were doing it because, well, that's just what we're supposed to do. But their heart wasn't in it. So what happened? Well, in turn, they weren't offering the best lambs for sacrifice. But rather they would choose one that was lame or one that was blind, one that, that had some deformity on it. They didn't choose the best lamb as they were supposed to. No, they took something that, you know, was a little less than the best and they gave that in worship to the Lord. They were offering what cost them far less and they kept the best for themselves. They were going through the motions of religion, but there was no heart behind it. Listen, it was half-hearted worship. Half-hearted worship. This morning, are you going through the motions? The motions of religion... Have you grown content with doing things that you know you're supposed to do without any real love for God behind it? You sing the songs, but you don't really worship. You attend the services, but you don't respond to the Spirit. 
You can hear about Christ. His death on the cross for you and feel no emotion. You're just doing religion without any real relationship. And the Lord, listen, He grows weary of this half-hearted worship. That's exactly where He was with these people here in Malachi. God responds to Israel's surface-level worship in in, in Malachi chapter number 2. Look at verse number 1. He says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. He says, If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart. Don't miss that. You're not going to put your heart into it. To give glory into my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessing. Yea, I have cursed them already. Why? Because you do not lay it to heart. Their heart wasn't in it. And God said, I'm tired of your half-hearted worship. I'm not interested in your half-hearted worship. He said, listen, I want your heart. I don't want your appearance. We talked about it not too long ago when we were going through the book of Joel. In Joel chapter number 2, verses 12 and 13, he said, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye unto me, even with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. What did he say? Rend not your heart and not, rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. The Bible tells us, listen, He says, I'm so tired of you putting on the sackcloth and ashes and renting your garments and giving the appearance of sorrow, the appearance of brokenness, the appearance of worship, but your heart is unchanged. He said, it's half-hearted worship, and I'm not interested. Matthew chapter number 15, verse number 8. Jesus said this, that the people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Friend, you can do the Christian things. You can speak the Christianese language. You can put on the appearance. You can even come in here and match each other and stand on the platform. I'm just listen. You can go through the motions of Christianity, of religion, and your heart not be in it. And that's exactly where the people of Israel were. Offering half-hearted worship to the God that gave them everything. Friend, wake up from your spiritual sleep and discover what it means to truly worship God. Oh, listen, the first way that we see that they had fallen into this trap, the first way that we find that that they had fallen into this this place where they they lost sight of the love of God on their life, and they were sitting there and saying, God, uh, how have you loved me recently? The first sign of it, they were half-hearted worshipers. But that wasn't the only way. Listen, that not only did they have half-hearted worship, but they betrayed their sacred relationships. They betrayed their sacred relationships, all right? We find this in chapter number 2, verse number 11. Look with me there if you would. The Bible says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel uh, and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughters of a strange God. Israel knew they weren't supposed to have relationships with people from foreign lands. God commanded them that in the Scriptures. You'll remember all the way back, uh, we, we talked about it just the other day, about J- uh, Jacob and Esau, and, and how did Esau get back at his parents, at Jacob and his mother? How did he get back with them? Adam, what did he do? He said, listen, I know the thing that's really going to get him. I'm going to go marry somebody that I'm not supposed to. That's what he did. Well, the Israelites knew there were certain people they weren't supposed to have anything to do with. There were women from foreign lands that they weren't supposed to to, to go to. They weren't supposed to have relationships with. They knew it. But they pursued them anyway. Some even left their spouse for these unholy relationships that God had condemned. Listen, they, they were turning their back on a holy covenant. A sacred relationship. And pursuing, listen, the lust of their flesh. See, the marriage relationship is supposed to be a picture 
of our commitment to God and God's commitment to us. That's the picture that it's supposed to represent. But now that picture had been shattered because they had turned their back on God for an adulterous relationship with these men and women from the world. You know, many have cheapened their relationship with God to nothing more than a weekend fling. (laughs) Think about that. Show up on Sunday morning, and that's the relationship with God. Weekend fling! Oh, it's fun! But then you go and you live for the world the rest of the week. It's no wonder our kids are growing so confused because they know that what they see on Sunday is nothing more than a facade that you put on and the real you comes out the rest of the week. Ouch. When will we decide to make our relationship with God more than just something we do for a few hours on Sunday? Make it something that's actually real. Our world is fast spiraling into an eternity and a lake of fire. But the church is too busy with our adulterous relationships with the world to show them Christ. James chapter number 4, verse number 8, the Bible says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Hey, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your heart, ye double-minded. You can't love God and love this world. James 4, 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He's not saying that, listen, that you shouldn't go out into the world and that you should stay, stay away from the world. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, listen, you want to have a relationship with God that precedes everything. It is not just something that you just do on a Sunday. It's something that you do every day of your life. 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, listen, if you, if you love the world, you can't love God the way that you're supposed to. In Romans chapter number 12, verse number 2, familiar verse, he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be trans." by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We talked about it on Wednesday night. Adultery is a painful act that causes much destruction in the marriage relationship. Trust is broken. The relationship is devastated. But for the grace of God and unfathomable forgiveness, there's no way that that relationship could survive. But what, happened, what, what, what if it happened over and over and over and over and over again? I dare say that no marriage could survive in here. <laughs> now friend, that is what you and I have done to God. Think about that. Man, if your spouse, if, she, if they went out on you over and over and over, we talked about it on Wednesday night. It, listen, Tressa loves me with everything. I love her with everything. I mean, we're best friends, and, and listen, our marriage uh, is strong, and I'm, I'm so thankful for the wife that God has, has given me. But if I went out on my spouse, that'd be a hard one to come back from. If I did it a second time, I'd be in the ground somewhere, okay? That's just the way that it would, okay? But I mean, you, again and again and again and again, I mean, can you imagine the brokenness? The hurt, the pain that would cause. And that's what we do to God. When we love the world more than we love Him. That's what Israel was doing. God says, it's an abomination. It's it's awful, It's, it's terrible. How could you do this? Over and over and over and over and over again. You see, God loves you within a grace that's immeasurable. And over and over and over and over again, you and I leave what should be a committed relationship to Him to fulfill our lust of the flesh. And listen, every time He takes you back, it's astounding, it's mind blowing. 
But friend, just because His grace is immeasurable is no excuse to continue in sin. It's no excuse to continue that way. Romans 6 tells us in verse number 1, What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, God's grace is so much. God will continue to forgive. God, you can't expound the grace of God. So should we go and live in sin over and over and over and over again? You know what he says to that in verse number 2? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The incredible love of God shouldn't cause us to seek to exhaust its boundaries. It should motivate us to stop leaving the love of God for the lusts of the world. We see clearly that they, they'd lost sight of the love of God because they had half-hearted worship. They betrayed their sacred relationships. Listen to this, number three, they doubted God's control. They doubted God's control. Look at chapter number two, verse number 17. They said, ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? It says, when ye say, everyone that doeth good, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and, and he delighteth in them. Or where is God, the God of judgment? <laughs> Ask the question. Familiar question. Where's God's judgment? God, it just seems like the evil are always having good happen to them. And God, why isn't that when anything good happens to me? God, where's your judgment? It seems like wickedness is always winning. I don't know if you've ever been there before. (laughs) Maybe you've been there over these last couple of days. We prayed for him before the service, but listen, with all the stuff that's going on in Israel right now, you hear about the innocent victims being tortured, their lives being taken. I'm just going to be honest, it stirred something in me. Yesterday I was, I was reading through some of the headlines, and I, I was supposed to be um, finishing some stuff up for the, today and the services today, and I'm reading through some of that, and I'm just getting stirred up. And Tressa finally said, Kyle, you've got to put that away. You need to focus on some other things right now. It, it just it stirs me, and I think it should stir us. Listen, if you can sit by and watch the wickedness and the atrocities that are going on around the world and not feel anything, listen, you need to check your pulse this morning because something might be wrong. It should do something. It should stir us. It left me feeling sorrowful, broken, anger at the wicked and the wickedness that you see, feelings of hopelessness. Just want to see the wicked wiped off the face of the earth. That's how you feel. In the midst of these emotions, there was a reminder that came to my mind from a recent message that I listened to. In Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, verse number 8. A verse that I've, I've probably read, I don't know how many times, but have you ever read the Bible before and then somebody said, reads a verse and you're like, whoa, why have I never seen this before? That's what happened whenever I heard this verse. Ecclesiastes 5, verse number 8, he says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and a violent perverting of judgment and justice in the province. <laughs> hey, does that sound familiar, okay? The oppression of the poor, the perverting of judgment and justice. Listen, welcome to 2023. <laughs> But he says this, marvel not at that matter. Don't be surprised. Don't be taken back. We say this, don't be afraid. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. You see, when when sinners keep sinning and when evil keeps sinning, seems to be winning, and the devil is grinning, and God doesn't seem to be contemning. Hey, just hold on. Because he that is higher than the highest, 
The one that's higher than the queens. The one that's higher than the, que- the kings. The one that's higher than the prime minister. The one that's higher than the presidents. The one that's higher than all the powers of the world combined. Listen, he knows what's going on and nothing is out of his control. That's what that verse reminds us. That God knows just what's happening and God will judge in his perfect time. Proverbs chapter number 21 verse number 1 is a wonderful reminder. The king's heart, listen, it's in the hands of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. In Jeremiah chapter number 17, verse number 10, the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. In Isaiah chapter number 55, verses 8 and 9, he says, listen, my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. Neither my ways, your ways, saith the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Romans chapter number 12, verse number 19, he says, dearly, beloved. Hey, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Listen, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. In Romans chapter number 8, verse number 28, hey, let us be reminded of it this morning. We know that all things work together for good. Who's good? God's good and for His glory. To them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Listen, there has never been a moment in all of history that was out of God's omnipotent control and out of His power. And listen, there never will be and he's just turning the rivers of our world to funnel into his perfect plan what is to come hey have you forgotten what the bible says in second timothy chapter number three he says this in second timothy three this know also in the last days perilous times shall come shocker Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and holy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, trady, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He says, from such, turn away. Listen, friend, we know that it's going to get worse before it gets better. He said it. And as we learned last week, if the Bible says it, it's going to happen. Now I pray that God continues to give grace. I pray that God continues to give mercy. I hope and I pray that the United States in some way that I can't necessarily find in the Scriptures make sure that it stays somewhere in there until the end. But listen, friend, we don't have that guarantee. And to live in such a way that we believe that everything's just going to go on peachy forever. Lie unto yourself. You see, the day could come in our nation where we live that the very atrocities, atrocities that are going on in other parts of this world could take place here. And I'm thankful, hey listen, I'm thankful for where we live. I'm thankful I live in Montana. And listen, some of you, I know some of you aren't from Montana. And so uh, you'll just have to forgive me for a second. But here in Montana, listen, uh, we stand for things. I mean, it's just kind of the way that it is. And if somebody wants to come and take something from me, well, you're going to have to go through me and my guns and my, all these other things. Listen, we already have a plan for, for my father-in-law's got a big chunk of property on the other side of the state. And you can see from a long ways away. And if something really falls out, we're just going to go over there with all the guns and we'll just wait it out, okay? You know, we'll, we'll be ready. Ready to roll? Okay, that's. I mean, we just. We, you got. The, that's how we think in Montana. It's just the way that it is. I'm originally from Indiana, but I have been twisted into this mindset. Okay, that's just the way the way that things have gone. But listen, it could happen. In fact, the Bible tells us all them that live godly will suffer persecution. It's a promise. It's a world that we live in, and to believe any differently. It's fooling ourselves. But friend, I want you to understand, as things get worse and worse, it should just be a reminder that the return of Christ is just getting closer and closer. That that wonderful day when we see our Savior face to face, it's just around the corner, it's coming. Hey listen, after all the tragedy and everything that's going on, don't, remember, don't forget verses like 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 57. That says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget verses like 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 4, that says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
Oh, the nation of Israel, they'd fallen into this trap where they're set there. And God, where's your judgment? Aren't you? Where are you at? Where's your control? God, is everything out of your control? Where are you at? God, it seems like evil's winning. And God said, oh, listen, listen. It's not out of my control. I've got a plan. They'd had half-hearted worship. They betrayed their sacred relationships. They doubted God's control. Listen, chapter number three, they distrusted God's provision. They distrusted God's provision. Oh, some of you knew we were going to get to these verses. All right, you're going to see it in a second. Malachi chapter number three, verse number eight. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Some of the visitors here today are thinking, okay, we knew we'd eventually get to this. We're going to talk about money now, okay? That's, that's the way that, that, that some people think. Listen, we're just preaching the Bible. We're giving an overview. We're hitting the big points, and that's where we are here this morning. But why was it that Israel wasn't giving what they were supposed to to the Lord? The Bible tells us that they were holding back their tithe from God. Some say, well, I don't believe the tithe's a New Testament thing. Listen, the tithe predated the Old Testament law. And and listen, the principle carries over into the New Testament. If you really want to get into the nitty-gritty in the New Testament, whenever they came and gave things, they just, you know, sold all their property, their land, their houses, and gave all of it to the Lord. So listen, if we want to talk about it, you know, 10% sounds pretty good to me, okay? Listen, hey, this is what they knew. This is what the people should have understood. God created the universe. God created the land. God created the mountains. God created everything that we can see. And listen, He has given you everything in your life. And that was the case with Israel. And in the Bible, the Bible tells us that He he said, listen, it all belongs to me, and I only request 10% back. That's what the tithe means. The tithe literally means 10%. You can't get around it, okay? That's what it is. God could have said, you give me 90%, and you get to keep the 10. But God said, no, I'll let you keep the 90, you give me 10. That's it. And Israel said, no thanks. Why? I mean, to me, that seems like a pretty good deal. Listen, if you want to come up to me today, and you're like, Kyle, listen, I got $1,000 right here, and listen, I will give it to you, but you have to give me $100 back. Listen. I will take that deal, okay? Anybody in here, you want to make that deal? I will accept it, and we will, we will make it happen, okay? Listen, I mean, this sounds like a pretty good deal. God has given you everything that you had, and he says, listen, 10%. 10%. Why? Why would they struggle with that? You know why? I, th- I think I know why. Because they struggled. They struggled with if God was really going to provide for them and take care of them. Can God really take take care of me if I give him 10%? I can, can, uh, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay for the, things? How am I going to afford stuff? How, am I gonna, how is it going to happen? Listen, because they didn't believe that he could take care of their needs. So what did they do? They kept it back for themselves. Friend, can I remind us this morning, God doesn't need your money or my money. The Bible tells us he owns the cows on a thousand hills. When I grew up in Indiana, I didn't know what that meant. And I moved out here to Montana, that's a lot of cows, okay? I've learned that. You know what, he was, he was trying to give us a picture. He says, listen, God owns it all. He doesn't need your money. He's not there wringing his hands and thinking, man, the economy in America is really going downhill. I don't know if we're going to survive this thing, okay? He's not struggling with it. He's not. But he created a way that you and I could be involved in his work and you and I could receive a blessing because of it. He says, listen, here's, what, here's the plan. I give you everything. You give 10% back to take care of the Lord's house and help the gospel go forward. That, that's what he says. Malachi chapter number 3 has one of those incredible promises that we find in the scriptures. It's, it's really cool. And so many aren't, aren't, aren't involved in it. It's unfortunate. Verse number 10, 
He says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that ye may have meat, uh, that there may be meat in my house. Okay, take care of my house. And he says this, and prove me now. Test me. Just see if this won't work. That's what he says. Say the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He says, if you will do what, what you're supposed to do. He says, I'm going to open up the windows. And I'm going to pour out a blessing so great, you won't even be able to, to hold it. Now listen, we don't give to get. It's not the reason we give. We give because we love. You get it? And because he loves us. Okay, don't forget the motivation. But here's what I found out. Oftentimes, whenever we're faithful to give, we do get. Not just monetarily, but God God just blesses. I really can't even describe it, but he just does. I've shared this story before. I remember I was in Bible college. And at that time, we were, you know, I'm, I'm living there on campus, and I was working, uh, two, I think I was working two different jobs at that time. I was working security in the evening, and I was working for a company during the, during the day. And, and uh, you know, and, and I was trying to be faithful to the Lord, the things that I was taught. And so with that, I continued to give the tithe to, to the Lord. And I'm just going to be honest with you, especially whenever I was young, I struggled with it because that was, that was hard. And I'm thinking, Lord, how am I going to, I need to pay my school bill, but then I also need to, to give the time. How, how does this all balance out? And I remember struggling with that with some, but I, but I tried to, I stayed faithful to give the Lord the tithe. And, and I'll never forget, it came, came down to it, and I needed my school bill. I needed $200 left. It was kind of early on in the year. I needed $200 to pay that, the next payment on my school bill. The, the payment was due on Wednesday. I'd never been late. It was Tuesday night. I'm working security on that Tuesday night. I'm working a job during the day, taking 21 credit hours during the day. I mean, I didn't have time for anything except for working and school. And uh, I mean, like, I, I'm just, I'm exhausted. And I remember that night, I thought, you know what, the, the day's preceding, I thought, you know, I could call my parents and ask them for a loan or get them money. But I said, no, God, I've been faithful to you. God, I want to see you see what you're going to do. I'll never forget that Tuesday night. God, I don't know where it's coming from. Everybody, everybody was in their dorms and I was checking, I was walking around campus on security, checking things. And I remember one of my, my jobs was to go and check the the, uh, the post office, and so I went into the post office, and I'm looking around in there and stuff. While I was in there, I grabbed my key, and I went, and I remember opening my post office box, and, and I opened it up, and there was an envelope in there, and, and we got, just the way that it was, the school that I went to, we, we got letters from the staff pretty regularly. They were always uniform letters, you know, that, that you know, weren't personal at all, and so I just kind of thought that's probably what I remember pulling it out and thinking, okay, you know, here's one of these form letters, and, and uh, I pulled it out of there, closed my, my box, put the key in my pocket, and I remember taking the envelope and opening it up, but it was different. It wasn't a letter. I remember opening it up and, and unfolding it. It was a receipt, I remember looking at that receipt, and it said on there that it was a payment made to, and had my name, and in the box was an amount. <clears throat> now listen, you're not going to believe this, okay? I prayed, God, I need $200. God, I need $200. i got to make this next payment. God, you've got to give me $200. I'm doing everything that I can. I'm being faithful to you. God, you're going to be... Give me two hundred dollars. I don't know where it's coming from, but I need two hundred bucks. Guess how much was in there? It wasn't two hundred dollars. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll never forget it. I looked on there, nine thousand four hundred and ten dollars. I'll never forget it. They hadn't just paid my next payment; they paid the entire school bill. I remember standing there and just being dumbfounded. What do you do in the moment like that? This is unbelievable. Called the boss. I said, I quit. So No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. So I didn't do that. I, I remember I just stood there and I was just like, this is, this is unbelievable. You know what I found out? Sometimes God opens up the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that you can't even, you don't even know how to receive it. I can't describe it, friend. I, I, can't, I can't put it into, to, to really, I, I, I really can't. I don't know how to do it, but, but what I can say this is, listen, God has a way of when we do our part, 
He always does His. And He always does more than His. And the children of Israel, they were struggling. God, what have you done for me recently? God says, listen, you've been withholding what's mine. The Bible tells us that these people, they were struggling because they had half-hearted worship. They betrayed sacred relationships. They distrusted God's control. They, tr- they, they distrusted God's provisions. But listen, we're finished. They believed living for God was a waste. Look at verse number 14. <clears throat> Ye have said, it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, that we've walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts, and now we call the proud happy? Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. After everything, God points them to the final straw that was the truth and truth, the heart of the matter. They didn't believe living for God was really worth it. Their life was full of mourning and the prideful nations that didn't follow God seemed to be thriving. It was a vain thing to live for God. That's what they said. You know, there's a man in the Bible who was given the most wisdom ever. His name was Solomon. He was the son of David and Bathsheba. He was given the opportunity to ask God because of his father. He was able to ask God for anything that he wanted. And he asked God for one thing. He asked God for wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, God gave him uh, the money. He gave him the power. And he gave him wisdom. But listen, for a man that had all the wisdom in the world, I think it makes him the most foolish man that ever lived because he didn't do for God what he should have done. The Bible said, listen, you should not go after these strange women. If you do, they'll turn your hearts from from me. Turn your heart from me. You know what Solomon did? With all of his wisdom, he went after strange women. In fact, he did it to the tune of 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's, he's just not a very smart guy, okay? You understand? I mean, that was just not a good decision in his life. After he had, he had left the Lord and after they had turned his heart away from God, many years later, he sat down and he wrote a book, the book of Ecclesiastes. And over and over again in the book, he has a theme that he repeats. We find it for the very first time in Ecclesiastes 1, verse number 2. It says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's all a waste. It's all a waste. It's pointless. It's a waste of time. Everything in this life is a waste. That's what he said. It's a very depressing book, okay? I don't re- recommend it if you're, if you're struggling with some depression. I mean, it's just, it's not a good book to go to. But listen, after all, I mean, after 12 chapters of vanity and vanity and vanity, everything's vanity. He gets to the end of it. And at the end of the book, he, before he concludes, he states that there's one thing that, that does actually matter. There's one thing vanity. What was that one thing? Well, he says it in Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The only thing that matters. Fear God and keep His commandments. That is the whole duty of man. Coming from the man who experienced all the pleasures the world had to offer, he said there's only one thing that really matters. Fear God, keep His commandments, live for God. It's the only thing that's worth it. Friend, one day you will stand before God and the only thing that's going to matter is what you did on this earth for Him. Did you trust Him as your Savior and did you live your life for Him? That's the only thing that's going to last. I can tell you on that day there will be a lot of people who have wondered, is it really worth it? And if I can just quote some words from the old songwriter, said this, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. One day to hear Him say, well done, thou good and faithful 
servant. Friend, this morning, have you lost sight of the love of God? Have you forgotten just how much He loves you and in turn stopped loving Him the way that you should? If you have, can I remind you the same way the messenger of the Lord, Malachi, reminded those in his day with the final verses from his book. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven all the proud. Remember all those that were winning? Yea, and all that do wickedly, listen, they shall be stubble. The day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. He says, listen, you think the wicked's women, hey, they ain't going to last very long. But unto you that fear my name, Shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings? Ye shall go forth and grow up as the calves of the stall. Ye shall, tre- and he shall, ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts, remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him, and whore up for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers and of the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. You know what he said here? He said, listen, there's coming a day when Messiah's coming and listen, he's going to turn everything upside down and the wicked that seem to be winning, they're going to lose and the ones that you felt like a loser, God's going to win. And can I remind us today, the Messiah came and he's coming again and he's coming with power. And with might, and all the wickedness of the world will be condemned, condoned, and destroyed. And one will stand. And that'll be Jesus Christ on his throne. Friend, this morning, don't let your heart be captured with fear, with uncertainty. Be captured by the world. Friend, this morning, Allow your heart to be captured by the love of God. They had a half-hearted worship. They betrayed their sacred relationships. They doubted God's control. They distrusted His provision. And they believed living for God was a waste. But in the end, you know what they found? God's greater. And He does love us. And God sent His Son, His only Son, to die on that cross for them. One day Israel is going to turn and they're going to see, oh, Jesus is who he said he was. And friend, either on this earth today, you will say, yes, Jesus, you are who you said you were. Or one day when you bow before his feet, I hope today you'll be consumed by the love of God. Turn your attention to him and live your life for his glory. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And God, as we wrap up these minor prophets, I, say that, I pray that some of the truths that we've looked at, God, would, would stick with us, that we'd remember them. And God, I pray today, today, that some would be consumed by the love of God. This morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this would be a great time to do it. Say, Kyle, what do I have to do? Do I have to sign something? Do I have to talk to somebody? You don't. I'd be happy to talk to you after the service. But friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can make that decision right where you're seated. When I was nine years old, I prayed in a seat similar to this. Yes, I came to an altar, but I prayed and I said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that that I can't get to heaven on my own. And I put my full faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on that cross. Friend, if you've never done that, you can do that today. If you're here this morning, and if you've lost sight of the love of God, and it doesn't consume your life, and maybe as we went through those boxes that the children of Israel were, man, they were involved in, maybe you could check some of those boxes yourself. You'd say, you know what, my love for God hasn't been what it should be. I've lost sight of where my sight should be. This morning, I hope that you respond to the Lord. Get things right and walk out of this room closer to him than you've ever been before. With heads back.